Good morning. So glad you're here today. I greet you in the name of my Savior. If you are in middle school, you're going to go with Mr. Larry. Not me, Mr. Larry, but Mr. Larry Hahn. If you're in the youth ministry, you're going to stay in here with us today because all of our youth workers are with the rest of our youth at camp today or at a retreat today. Um, so anyway, Mr. Larry, thank you. Lord bless you. You got a crowd there. Um, I'm so happy y'all are here today. I don't take that lightly. I feel like God sovereignly drew us here together today to look at this passage. Miss Gail, thank you for the call to worship. Um, that's one of the most perplexing and In encouraging verses to me in the Bible, the idea that when, and we're going to talk about Jesus coming back today, but a, and what you read is not the whole story. It's just a piece of the story, but it's a, it's a remarkable piece when you think about the idea that part of one of the things that's going to happen when Jesus returns is that when he gathers his family together he is God himself is going to take off his robe like he did the night before he died and lay it aside going to take a basin of water and he is going to wash the feet of his children now you 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 uh you think about that that's a that's a that's an, that's an amazing idea. I, I, uh, I read that often, think of that often. Um, Jesus will be so happy with us. He'll be so happy that we're with Him that He will literally, He, he won't be able to stand it. He'll just want to, sort of like you moms, when your kids come home from being gone and you just want to do something for them to show them you're glad they're back. Um, um, I think that's sort of what that's talking about. Just It just shows the delight. Um, anyway, I'm not even sure what that all means, but it sure is lo a lovely thought. Um, okay, we're going to look at Matthew. We're actually going to look at two passages today. Uh, one is in Matthew chapter 25, and then one is in Hebrews chapter 9. And so if you've got a copy of God's Word... I wish that you would turn there, um, however you <laughs> do that, whether you have a real copy of the Bible or you've got a phone. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9 and Matthew chapter 25. We'll start with Matthew 25. Um, I want you to really listen to me today, if you can, even more closely than maybe you ever have before. Like I said, I don't believe that we are here today by accident. I think that the Lord drew us here today because he has something that he wants to tell us. And um, I want you to think about this as I read this parable. Uh, this is another, that's a parable that Gail read uh, uh, that Jesus told about his second coming. Well, this is another parable that Jesus told about his second coming. Okay, so you listen to it. And if your Bible says virgins... In that day, that word was synonymous with bridesmaids. Okay, so don't let that 
mess you up or confuse you. If I re- I'm going to read bridesmaids because that's what the word virgin in that parable means. Young, unmarried maidens who would have been chosen to be a part of the wedding party. Okay, so that's, that's the context. So don't let that mess you up. Um, Jesus is talking in Matthew 25. He told this parable just three or four days before he died on the cross. Just so you know, we're, we've been going through the life of Christ. And literally, we're in the final week. And this is one of the last things that Jesus told his disciples before he died. And as your parents, you know, you remember when your parents would leave, the closer to departure, the more important their words. The last thing your parents said before you, they went out of town was normally the thing they really wanted you to get. Well, we're getting close to Jesus going out of town, okay? Going back to heaven. And uh, so this is one of the last things Jesus says. And this is in Matthew chapter 25. I think it's the first 13 verses. It says, um, the kingdom of heaven will be like bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five were foolish and five were wise. Don't let the number five mess you up. Five means nothing. Uh, Just some of the bridesmaids were wise and some were foolish, okay? Now, what them wise or foolish? The foolish ones didn't take enough oil for their lamps, but the wise ones took extra oil. They, the wise ones had some connection with the groom who was about to come that made them want to be extra prepared. They had some feeling, some uh, uh, devotion, some dedication to the groom that they, they, they looked ahead. They weren't just looking at that evening. They were looking ahead and they wanted to be extra prepared. Okay? Um, thank you, Austin. Uh, Let's see here. But the wise ones took extra oil. When the groom was delayed, big word uh, in the story, when the groom was delayed, they all fell asleep. The wise ones fell asleep. The foolish ones fell asleep. So sleep is not a bad thing in this story. Don't let think, well, we're supposed to stay awake all the time and look up into the heavens. That's not the point of the story. In fact, Jesus, I think, probably... If Jesus could say one thing to us, I don't, wait a minute, I don't want to say it that way. That's not, that's too strong. I think that one of the things that Jesus would say to every one of us in this room is, you don't sleep enough. You don't sleep enough. You don't sleep enough. And it affects your ability to be aware, it affects your ability to learn, it affects your ability to hear, it affects your ability to relate, it affects your ability to study, it affects your ability to pray, it, it affects, you don't sleep enough. So Jesus is an anti-sleep. That's not the point of the story. Because the wise ones are sleeping just like the foolish ones, okay? But when the groom was delayed, they all fell asleep. And at midnight... 
they were roused by the shout, The groom is coming. Come meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up and they prepared their lamps or trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones asked the wise ones, Please give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the wise ones replied, We don't have enough to spare. You must go and buy some. But while they were gone, the groom came. And then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And then the door was locked. And later the foolish bridesmaids returned. And they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But from within he replied, the groom replied, believe me. I do not know you. So you must. So then that's the parable. Okay. Now Jesus adds. So you too must keep watch. For you do not know when I'll return. That's a, that's a deal guys. This is a deal. What Jesus is saying right here. I, I want us to. Oh my goodness, I want us to get this. Um, Jesus told, I think I told y'all one time, I forgot now, right under 40. I've forgotten exactly. If you know the number, tell me. But it's under sometimes between 35 and 40 parables. About a third of them are clear-cut, straight. You know, they, they, they easy to get. About a third of them are... A little more difficult, but we get it. Then about a third of them are hard. They're just hard. Uh, this is a hard one. <laughs> uh, I recognize that. I own that. Um, what I've learned about the parables of Jesus, especially the hard ones, is that in almost every one of the hard ones, for those of you that are students of the Bible, for almost every one of the hard ones, while they contain hard things, there's normally a main idea that's not hard. And if I'll focus on the main idea, the more difficult sub-ideas will work themselves out. Okay? So if you're reading along in the Gospels like I pray you do, I really do pray. I pray daily that you will read your Bible, that you'll read your Bible. And get to know the author of the Bible. Uh, and when you're reading the Gospels, you're going to read the parables. And some of them are hard. But if you will read them and you'll look for what's the one thing, the main thing. What's the mountain? What's the mountain message in this parable? Then don't worry about the molehills. They'll work themselves out. Don't worry about the molehills. Focus on the mountain. Um, and so in this parable, there are three if you will, mountains that I, that I want us to think about. I'm just going to suggest these. I want you to think about them. Uh, I think they're worthy of us thinking about them. Number one, I would say that a third to a half of all the parables that Jesus told, let's say a third of the parables that Jesus told were about Weddings. 
This parable is about a wedding. The parable that Gail read, it's about a wedding. A wedding, a, a wedding feast, a marriage feast. The idea of a wedding was a big deal to Jesus. He talked about it all the time. It was, a, it was the very first public place that he announced or revealed who he was. It was the very first place that he did a miracle. Uh, 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 weddings were a big deal to Jesus. Um, don't miss the point that the second coming of Christ at its core is really just a wedding. If you're wondering about Jesus coming back, what's that all about? What's going to happen? What's going on? What's, that, what's the deal with Jesus returning? I want to suggest to you, I want to declare to you that at the end of the day, not the only thing that's going to take place at the second coming, but the most important thing that's going to take place when Jesus returns is that it is a wedding. It's His wedding. And Jesus is going to return someday primarily to claim His bride. Jesus is going to return someday for His precious bride. Will He come back and defeat evil? Absolutely. And that's what you get in the middle of Revelation. If you read the book of Revelation, you're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Well, in the middle of that book, Jesus is fighting evil and conquering evil and casting and smoting and zapping. And man, there's all kinds of things going on. Jesus will come back and when He does, He will conquer evil. He's also coming back to establish a kingdom. He will, we all, oh my gosh, we're all riled up about what's going on in Washington and what's going on with the, the, the different parties and what's going on in Europe and the EU and what's going on in the Middle East and what's going on with Russia and China. Oh my gosh, kingdoms are... I'm not saying those things aren't important. They are important, very important. But I'm telling you at the end of the day, they are so temporary. They are so fleeting. Don't blink. Those of you that are all worked up and riled up and involved in politics, bully for you. God bless your ministry. May you be anointed in your ability to raise the dead. Uh, good luck. Um, but I'm telling you, those of you that are all involved in that, don't blink. Because there's going to be a day when the Son of God returns. And he is going to establish a kingdom. And all other kingdoms will vanish. Where, where's Russia? We don't know. Where's China? I, no idea. Where's the United States? Never heard of them. What's going on in the Middle East? Can't, can't tell you. Because the kingdom of God will be established and will rule and reign and dominate not only this world, but the universe. Jesus is going to come back and He's going to conquer evil. Jesus is going to come back and He's going to establish a kingdom. But do not miss the main point. Why is Jesus coming back? He's coming back to claim His bride. He sacrificed His life 
to pay the bride price, to pay the dowry, if you will, 2,000 years ago. When he came the first time, he had to pay this price for his bride. What did he use? What was his payment? Well, he had plenty of gold and all the wealth of the universe, but none of it was worth the value that he saw in his bride. Million dollars? Not enough. Billion dollars? Not enough. All the oil that's under all the continents? Not enough. The only thing I can think of that communicates the value that I place on the bride is I give my life the life of God himself. And maybe in that act, they'll get a glimpse of how I see them, how I value them, how I treasure them. And so Jesus came and he sacrificed his life to pay the bride price and then he went away. That's what the parable says. He went away. There was a delay in his return. But he's coming back. In Revelation chapter 19, uh, the, the psalmist says, I'm sorry, the author John says, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give God glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. The whole back end, the whole back third of the book of Revelation is nothing more than a wedding. The Son of God has come for His bride and they are celebrating this wedding between the Son of God and the bride. I want to say one more, one more thing before we move on to my second mountain. You know what a wedding means, don't you? I got married what next next this Thursday, this Thursday, I got married 38 years ago. And it's been the happiest 25 no, I'm just joking. No, no, that's not true. Uh, I got married 38 years ago this Thursday. And um, you know what that meant, don't you? That meant that I was choosing one person over other people. That's what, that's what weddings, that's what marriage means. You're picking one person over a bunch of other people, right? And that's sort of what that means. Jesus is coming back. I just want you to know that. He's not coming back for everybody. I just want you to know that. that you might say, well, Larry, I don't think you're right. Okay, but the Bible would, would suggest, actually it would declare, that Jesus is not coming back to celebrate his wedding with everybody. He's coming back to celebrate his wedding with his bride, the one that he chose. He chose her. Actually, Paul goes on to tell us that we didn't choose him. The Sorry, ladies. In this scenario, the bride didn't get to pick anybody. The groom did all the picking. 
And the groom said, oh my gosh, I'd like to spend eternity with you. And that's exactly what he decided. And he chose her. And he paid a dowry. And he's been gone for uh, 2,000 years. But he'll come back to marry his bride, his chosen beloved bride. Second point, take me just one second to say it, and that's this. It says that there is a delay between the groom picking the bride and the wedding. There's a delay. That's a real stumbling block for folks. Where is Jesus? It's one of the two. If you talk to people long enough, people that struggle, people that doubt, people that are uh, anti-God, anti-Christianity, anti-the Bible. You know, there's really only two things that people struggle with. Oh, overwhelmingly. There's a, there's a few little other things. But basically, people who struggle uh, uh, with believing in Jesus, they struggle with one of two things. One is, why does God let bad things happen? And that's a deal breaker. That is a deal. I have to admit that. That's a hard one. Why does God let bad things happen? The other one is, where is he? Where is he? Why isn't he here? If you want me to believe in him, show him to me. And that's, that's, been, that's been a struggle for 2,000 years. You're telling me that this God sent his son 2,000 years ago to die so that he could marry this bride and establish this kingdom and defeat evil. That's hard. But he tells us, I think in the, in the uh, uh, parable that Gail read, but in many, many of the parables, Jesus says time and time again, there will be a delay between Jesus' first coming where he pays the bride price and his second coming when he'll marry the bride. Second Peter chapter 3, Jesus' best friend Peter said it this way. Don't forget that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth, following their evil passions, saying, what about God's promise of Jesus coming back? For since time began, nothing's changed since the world was created. Peter then says, but remember, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't being slow about His promise, as some think. No, He's being patient for your sake, for He does not want anyone to perish. There's a delay between His first advent and His second. Between His paying the bride price and getting engaged, getting betrothed, and the wedding. I don't know why there's a delay. I don't know, obviously, how long the delay will take place. I can tell you this, according to Peter, the groom's only been gone two days. He's just been gone two days. So it's all getting nervous. Oh my gosh, my groom had to, to leave, uh, maybe to buy a ring, maybe to set the wedding up, maybe to go buy me a present. I don't know why he had to be gone, but he had, he's only been gone two days, according to Peter. So let's, let's, let's keep it in perspective, okay? Third mountain from this parable, okay? <clears throat> I want you to 
Stay with me. Think with me, please. What if you found out, those of you that have been married a while like me. Now, it's not, everybody knows why Sherry married me. Okay? Okay. I'm adorable. I mean, I mean duh. I mean, of course. Um, but what if, what if you found out that the person that you're married to married you for some other reason than that they loved you? Maybe you're wealthy. That sure wasn't why Shirley married me. Uh, maybe it was uh, you, you, uh, 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 oh, crud, that woman, that, uh, that movie star woman that married the fellow over in England. Um, what's her name? Meg, Megan, Megan Markle. Mar- Mar- Markle, whatever it is. Whatever it is. You know the lady I'm talking about. What if she married that boy just because she wanted to be a part of the, the royal stuff? Okay? Now, I don't know anything about it. Clearly, I know nothing about any of that. I'm not doubting her, questioning her. Wouldn't be able to pick her out in a lineup. I just read in the New York Times something about her the other day. So I, I saw her name. Um, how would you feel? What would that do to you to discover that the person that you chose out of all the people in the world Agreed to marry you and did marry you, but it was for some reason other than love. Your position, your wealth, they want to have children and you're as good a sperm donor as anybody uh, you know, around. Uh, what, what, what would that do to you to find out? I want to suggest to you that Jesus feels about his bride's love for him exactly the way you do. The way you would feel about the person's love for you that you love. No difference at all. Jesus is coming back for a bride who loves him. He's coming back for a bride that is excited to see him as excited to see him as he is excited to see her. I believe that this parable is communicating in a very subtle way the message that some of these bridesmaids had a a devotion, a love, a desire to bless the groom in such a powerful way that they couldn't do anything but prepare for his coming. They could not consider that he would arrive and be disappointed. That he would be sad. They, could, they, they wanted, they, they would do anything. They had such a love for him that it revealed itself in their willingness to prepare 
for his return. They cared enough and loved the groom enough that they were, that they were willing to prepare for his return. The ones who loved the groom well prepared for his return well and they were the ones that were invited to the wedding. I want to turn it around. The ones who didn't love well that was not tr- their love was not translated into preparing well. He has a good coming, good second coming, good, good, good reception, good arrival. But I'm not owning that. I'm not going to own that. That's not my responsibility. How he how he uh, arrives, how he's received, how he's welcomed. That's not my job. That's not my job. But there's a party. I'm there. I'm there. I, I want to go to the party. But I'm not. I'm, I, don't, I don't care enough to prepare well. And I don't know how you can miss the point in this parable. Those that didn't love well didn't prepare well. And those that didn't prepare well weren't invited to the wedding. They had the appearance of devotion. They had the appearance of love. But not enough devotion. Not enough love. To prepare well for his return. Somehow they... This is the point that I want you to hear me. I beg you to hear me. Somehow they felt like... Proximity... To those who did love well. Would be sufficient. I grew up in a home. Now this is, was not true of my dad. The last 20 years of his life. But I, as a child. Dalton's age. Wherever Zach is. Um, Dalton's age. I grew up in a home. Where if I heard my dad say it once. I heard him say it a thousand times. I'm going to get into heaven. Because I'm going to hold on to Sally's. The bottom of her dress. You know somebody like that? Oh, I'm going to get in because of my mama. I'm going to get in because of my wife. I'm going to get in because of my... Because I go to church and I hang out with Christians. I go to a Bible study. I go to a morning breakfast thing. Because of my proximity and association with those that really love this groom. And they love him so much that they prepare for the groom's return. Because I'm close to those that love him. That'll be enough to get me in. Folks, I want to tell you something. You cannot share your faith. That's, that's, do, do you see that in the story? Those, those wise maidens, they weren't, they weren't being selfish. They weren't being mean. They weren't being condemning. And I believe if Jesus had been more elaborate with the details of this parable, I think that Jesus would have said those five bridesmaids, 
that loved enough to prepare well for the return of the groom, I believe Jesus would have said that, that those five bridesmaids had tears streaming down their face and saying, oh my gosh, I would give you, I would give you this oil, but I can't. I can't give you my faith. I can, I can appeal to you that you should have your own, but I can't give you what's not transferable. You can't transfer faith no matter how godly your mama is. No matter how faithful your wife is or your husband is. Faith is not transferable. It is a work of the Spirit of God in each individual person's heart. These people, these five foolish bridesmaids, they were there they had their lamps. They, they were with the, the group. They had the appearance of religion, of spirituality. But what they had was empty. Second Peter, I'm so sorry, Second Timothy chapter 3 says that some people have a form of godliness, but they deny. It's real power. Jesus said in Matthew 7, Beware of those who look like sheep, but are really wolves. And then Jesus said again in Matthew 23, Woe to you who are outwardly righteous, but within your heart is full of sin and hypocrisy. Are you prepared? Do you love the groom so much that you are preparing yourself for his return? I do a lot of weddings. <laughs> it is beyond my amazement what brides will do to prepare for their weddings. And I don't, I'm not saying that negatively. I'm not mocking that. I'm not ridiculing that. I'm not poo-pooing on that. It is amazing what a bride will do to prepare for her wedding. Are we preparing for our wedding? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28 real quickly. And I'll close this thing down. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. Paul says, Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will come a second time, not to deal with sin again, but to save those who eagerly are waiting for Him. Let me read it one more time. Bless you. Hebrews 9.28 Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will come a second time not to deal with sin again, but to save those eagerly waiting for Him. So it begs the question. I've been thinking about it all week long. 
am I? It says that Christ will come again. He's going to come again for those of many. So my question that I've been asking myself is, am I one of those that Christ bore? Is, did Christ bear my sin? When Jesus died on the cross, did Jesus bear my sin? Rick, when Jesus came the first time and bore the sins, on the, bore sin on, his, on the cross, did He bear your sin? I think that's a... I actually think there is no question more important for us to answer. Am I included in the many people that Jesus bore sins for? Has Christ borne my sin? Will I be saved at His return? Am I covered? You know that State Farm a uh, 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 commercial where the African American lady standing in her backyard with her husband and he's sort of got this zombie look on his face like Lord have mercy and the lady's talking to her state farm agent and uh, she says hey uh, Mr. Jones uh, my, my, uh, uh, my, my, she, my she shed's on fire and then she says Mr. Jones is it covered? Is it covered? I want to whether that she shed was covered or not, that doesn't make me any difference. Actually, the whole concept makes me nervous. But anyway, um, that, I don't think that matters. What, what I promise you will matter someday. It, is the death of Christ covering your sin? Are your sins covered? I don't know why my mind works the way it does. But I thought about Jacob and Rachel and Leah. Remember the story in the Old Testament? Jacob is Abraham's grandson. And he goes over to a foreign land. And he works for a dude named Laban for a while. And he's got two daughters. And one of them's not going to win any beauty pageants. And the other one is drop dead gorgeous. And he falls in love with the beautiful one, of course. And he says, dude, I want to marry your daughter. I've never seen anything as beautiful in my life. What do I got to do? And he says, you got to work for me for seven years if you want to marry her. He goes, deal. Done. And he works his butt off for seven years. He works his tail off for seven years. And at the end of the seven years, he says, hey, time's up. I want my bride. I paid the price. I want my ride. And Laban says, okay. They throw a big wedding. And everybody drinks too much. I'm, I'm going to leave that there. <laughs> when you drink too much, you wind up with a... With a well, anyway, I'll just say, um, the point of the story is that that night, Jacob goes to bed with his bride. And in the morning, he wakes up. In the light of the day, he looks over and he has a frown. You're not who I wanted. You're not, you're not my bride. 
I don't love you. I don't love you. You're not who I worked for. You're not who I sacrificed for. You're not who I gave my life for. I don't believe you will ever ask yourself a question more important. When Jesus returns, is He returning for you? When Jesus returns, is He returning for me? When He sees me, will He be thrilled? Or will He go, You're not who I came back for. No hard feelings. But you're not my bride. You're not who I died for. You're not who I've been preparing 2,000 years for. You're not who I returned for. I would just suggest to us all. Some of us live in continual fear and uncertainty. About our eternal destination. When Jesus comes back. How will he feel about me? Will he be smiling? Will he be coming back for me? What's going to really happen to me. When Jesus returns. Paul answers this question in Hebrews chapter 9. Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will come a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Do I trust Christ? Do I love Christ? Do I delight in Christ to the point That I am excited about his return. Do I look forward to his return? Is my... Notice what Jesus says. At the very end of that parable. He doesn't say, I can't let you in because you didn't prepare. That's not what he says. He says, I can't let you in because I don't know you. We don't have a relationship. We're not intimate. We're not bonded in love. We don't have a love relationship. The preparing isn't what got the women into the wedding. The preparing was the result that they loved the groom. They couldn't bear the fact that he might be disappointed or sad or robbed of his triumphal return. They wanted the wedding to be perfect. Why? Making the wedding perfect wasn't what got them in heaven. What got them in heaven is that they wanted the wedding perfect because they loved him. You see, there's a, there's a phony faith. I'm sorry. But I beg you to hear me. There is a phony faith that is just a faith that flows out of a desire for fire insurance. I be- Michael, you believe in Jesus? Woohoo! I believe in Jesus. Why do you believe in Jesus? Because I don't want to go to hell. That's a phony faith. You, well, you want to get married to old Michael? Tell you want to marry? Yeah, because he's rich. 
You want to marry Michael? Yeah, because he's a, a, one of the heirs to the throne of England. And I'd like to get in on some of that uh, high living. Uh, I, I, uh, you want to marry Michael? Yeah, because he wants to have kids and I want to have kids. Maybe we can have kids together. There's a phony thing. See, that's phony. That's not a marriage that flows out of love. That's not a marriage that flows out of devotion. That's not a marriage that flows out of a discovery that, oh my gosh, you're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. You're the most wonderful thing I've ever seen in my life. I want to spend eternity with you because you are glorious. Well, where are we going to spend that? I don't care. I don't care where it is. Is there going to be a lot of money in the bank? A lot of gold streets? A lot of mansions? I don't care. I don't care whether it's tents or mansions. I just want to be with you. There's a phony faith that claims to believe in the groom but just to escape hell. There's no real desire for a love relationship. It's like those, uh, uh, and I'm going to screw this up so bad and I'm so sorry, but I think my daughter is the most glorious creature that has ever walked the earth. But I don't know whether she still does it, but for a long time she watched this show called The Bachelorette. Or The, the Bachelor, The Bachelorette or something like that. I don't know exactly what it was. And one night she made me sit down beside her and watch it just one, one time. It's one of the most horrifying experiences of my life. And, the, and I kept going, those women don't care about him. They just want to be on TV. They, they, they don't know him. They don't care about him. They would cut his guts out with a soup spoon if he crossed them. They just want the, the publicity. They want the limelight. They want the show. There's a lot of people. They want Jesus because of the show. I don't want to go to hell. And when I get sick, I'd like a little healing. When I lose my job, I'd like a little help with some extra money. I'd like some friends that are not crumb bums, that are good people. Uh, and being around Christian people, that'll, that'll, that'll meet that need. I'd like, I would love some kind of a plan that'll help me raise my children so that they turn out better. Christianity seemed like a good deal. I'm in. I'm in. What about Jesus? Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe in Him too. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he, he's included. This phony faith. It's a faith that says, I don't want to go to hell. But Jesus, please don't come back right now. I'm enjoying my life too much. Man, I'm in love with the world. I love my life. I love my job. I love my friends. I love my family. I love my life. Jesus, please don't come back right now. I don't don't want that. I don't want hell, but I don't want an eternity with you. I'm enjoying what I got right now. C.S. Lewis 
one of the most brilliant Christian thinkers of the 20th century, you know what his definition of hell was? C.S. Lewis's definition of hell was this. Spending an eternity with somebody you don't love. That's hell. Do you look forward to the return of the groom? Do you look forward to the day that there will be a trumpet shout? The groom is here. The groom is here. The wedding day is here. Or are you Sort of like the people that would have a wedding day, but they were, you know, where your families matched you. You never met your groom before. Your wedding day's here. Oh my gosh. I, I, I don't know who that is. I, I've never, I, I don't know. Is he a nice person or a bad person? Is he kind or is he mean? Will he create a good life for me or will my life suck? I don't know because I've never, I've never. You can't come in because I don't know you. I don't know you. What Jesus is implying is, if you ever take the time to really get to know me, you will love me. Because I've taken the time to get to know you. And I love you. I love you from the top of your pointed head to the bottom of your warty feet. I love you. I love you. I love you. But I'm coming back for a relationship with a bride that is reciprocal. I want to come back for a bride that loves me too. And if you get to know me, I promise you, you will love me. I'm not trying to scare people. I'm not trying to make people doubt. I'm not trying to make people feel bullied I'm just asking you to be reasonable. To use your common sense. Jesus is no less. He's more than we are, but He's not less. Right? And Jesus wants to return for a bride that loves Him as much as He loves her. Just like you want... Your bride, those doors to open and everybody stands up and she's walking in the aisle and you want her to look at you with the, and go, I'm so, I wouldn't be anywhere else in the world. I wouldn't be walking toward anybody else in the world. I love you. I love you. And I want to spend an eternity with you. Okay, I'm so sorry. Okay, we've got to end. Eternity hangs on the answer to that question. Do I long for Jesus' return? Or have I got such a love relationship going on with the world? I hope he stays away forever. Because I'm happy. I'm happy, happy, happy.
We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Um, let me see here. Gary, come up here. Thomas still here? Do he have to leave? Mama, come up here and help me. Gary, you help us. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. And I invite y'all to... Um, I found a verse. Let me read it to you. It says in Psalm 119, My eyes strain to see your rescue, to see the truth of your promise fulfilled. My eyes strain to see your rescue, to see the fulfillment of your promise. Jesus said to his disciples, I'm leaving. But just as I left... I will return. I promise you. And I'm coming back for a bride. Those of you that have said, I've met some amazing people in my life, but I've never met anybody like Jesus. I don't know Him like I should. I don't know Him like I want to. But I know Him enough to know that He loves me. He died for me. And I want to spend eternity with Him because I've discovered that He's wonderful. If that's your testimony, then you come and you eat and drink of that which represents his life, his death, his body, his blood. And so I wear this wedding ring to declare that I belong to somebody. I've never taken it off. I've worn it for 38 years. I've never taken it off one time. When we eat and drink, if that's your declaration, I belong to somebody. I belong to somebody. If that's your declaration, then you come and you eat and you drink and you rejoice in who you belong to. Okay?